You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Good morning. I'm late again, bye. Thank you for reminding me in front of 300 people, Roger. I really appreciate that. It's very generous and kind of you to remind me of my faults in front of everyone. Hello, everyone. I asked this question the last couple of times I was speaking here in the center, and I'm going to ask it again. And if you get fed up of being asked it, then we'll pray for you afterwards. How many people here want to be happy? Put your hand up if you want to be happy. Put your hand up high if you want to be happy. Praise God, because as I've said before, that's exactly what God wants for you too. That's exactly what he wants for you too. He wants you to be happy. Would anyone say amen? Amen. Do you know, every time I say that, I have to ask you to say amen. Do you not believe that that's what God wants for you? Because that is exactly what he wants for you. He wants you to be happy. In actual fact, he's gone to the ends of the earth, literally, to ensure our happiness. I've been talking about happiness the last couple of times I was up here. This is the third time. I'm talking about happiness, and uh, I'm unapologetic for it because I think it's really, really important because everyone in this room wants to be happy. Everyone in Cafe Church wants to be happy. Would anyone in Cafe Church say amen? Amen. Yes, I'm sure they're saying amen even as we speak, um, as they blow the top off their cappuccinos below there. God bless you, Cafe Church. Welcome. Um, Everyone wants to be happy. Everyone you've ever met wants to be happy, and I want to continue talking about happiness just for another little while, uh, because I just think it's really, really important. Because when you meet people, whatever whatever else might be going on in their lives, one thing I guarantee you, they want to be happy. And the only true way to find the deep, profound, satisfying happiness that they could ever possibly know is in an encounter in a personal relationship with God, and in the presence of God. That is the ultimate happiness that any human being will ever know. For, for what it's worth, a very brief recap. When I was looking in January the 5th and January the 12th, I looked at uh, the idea that God wants us to be happy. And I love this idea that C.S. Lewis articulated when he said this in Mere Christianity. He said, God cannot give us a peace and happiness apart from himself. Because it's not there. There's no such thing. He can't give us happiness without giving us himself because he is the ultimate source of all of those things. When I continued on a couple of weeks later, I was making... Whoa! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Let the fire fall! Hallelujah! Keep it up. I've either been blessed or I've been warned. If there's a very bright flash and I disappear, I've been warned, okay? If there's a very bright flash and you disappear, you need to repent. God cannot give us peace and happy apart from himself because there's not there, there is no such thing. The last time I was speaking, I was thinking about how for our happiness we need to put the first things first in our lives. That sometimes we put secondary things first in our lives and that actually detracts from our happiness. By detracting from our happiness, by putting things that really should be secondary in our lives, and we put them first. In actual fact, we looked at Jesus speaking in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, when he said this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else, juvie. Amen. We'll be praying for you this week, sister. What a fabulous prayer. Seek kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. 
If you aim at heaven, wrote one writer, you will get earth just thrown into the deal. And then we looked at this idea of putting first things first. If we put the kingdom of God first in our lives, what does that look like? It looks like putting the kingdom of God first in our days. Because, to quote Annie Dillard, the American Christian writer, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. If you're waiting for something to happen in your life, you're waiting for some event to happen in your life, you're actually wasting your life in the process. You need to stop waiting and start living. Would anyone say amen? We need to start living because you're, this day is the day that your life contains. This is part of your life. And by doing that, by seeking God's kingdom first every day, then we build a life that seeks God. Are you with me? Okay. I want to look just a little bit further into it this morning. This morning's message is titled, Happiness, One Thing. Just one thing. And here is my key point this morning. The one thing that will really, truly deeply satisfy your soul will be to be in the presence of God forever and ever and ever and ever time without end praising him seeing his face encountering relationship with God it is the one thing that every human being desperately needs it is the one thing that God so loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life that's the one thing The one thing that will truly satisfy your soul is the one thing that will truly make you happy. I love when the the psalmist says this. You show me the way of life, granting me joy in your presence and the pleasures of living with you forevermore. Or to quote it in its old translation, in your presence there is fullness of joy. That's where the joy is. That's where the happiness is, in the presence of God. But how do we do that? How do we ensure that that is the most important thing in our lives? And that's what I want to get to this morning. Because if you do only one thing in your day, which is in your life, that is, you should be seeking God and trying to get yourself into God's presence. Making yourself available to God. In the old way, it used to be called devotions. It is by actually putting yourself in God's presence for a period of time every day. Praying to him, communing with him, relating with him, and listening to what he would have to say to you, whether by his spirit or through his word, reading his word. Every day. If you do that every day, you will build a life of faithfulness. You will build a life of happiness. And sometimes we get all confused about what the most important thing in our life is, don't we? I want to look at a story this morning, and in fact, I'm going to look at two stories very briefly. And I want to look at a story from Luke's Gospel of a man who's not even really named, but it's a story that most of you will be familiar with. This is a guy, his name is Bartimaeus. Now, the curious thing about Bartimaeus is this. We read about his name, and we're not even told what his actual name is. We're told that he is son of Timaeus. That's what Bartimaeus means. But we never hear his name. We never hear, is he Timmy Bartimaeus, Jerry Bartimaeus, Mick Bartimaeus? We don't know what his name is. Curiously enough, his name isn't important, but the story of what happened to him is really important. It's actually recorded in a couple of the Gospels. In three of the Gospels, there is the story of this man. And he had, though he was blind, he had great focus. Because to him, the one important thing, the one need in his life was very, very obvious. And I think sometimes for us, The one important thing in our lives is not all that obvious. 
We're continually being told what the priorities in our life should be. You're continually being told by an unrelenting media machine that you've got certain priorities that are out of kilter. You're being continually told by the world, by your body, by your enemy, the devil, that your priorities should be one thing or another thing. And a lot of people go through their lives very confused as to what their key priority should be. And I love the idea that this guy has only one thing in mind. And when he brings that to the Lord, he gets the answer. You you know the end of the story if you're all familiar with the story. But may God bless us as we read his word this morning. And tune our hearts into the rhythm and the sound of heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's begin. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. Nothing unusual. When he heard the noise of the crowd going past, he asked what was happening. And they told him that Jesus, the Nazarene, was going by. Now this guy couldn't get pictures because he's blind, but he could get the sound. He could tune into the the sound of what was going on. And when you lose one sense, another sense becomes more heightened. So he was very tuned into the sound of this arriving crowd and this, this, this constant babble and conversation and perhaps shouting and the sound of footsteps. And maybe there was animals we don't know, but there was a whole crowd arriving with the cavalcade that was Jesus. And he said, what's going on? They said, Jesus is passing by. Let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, he passes by your life every single day. Every single day you sit and wait for him, he passes by your life. The scripture says that God will be found if we seek him with our hearts. If we genuinely seek him, we will find him. So this guy is sitting there and he's told that the real Jesus, the Nazarene, is going by. Just a little caveat. One, when you read this story, you're Bartimaeus, the blind fellow sitting by the side of the road, okay? And this story isn't even really about Bartimaeus. It's the story about who the true hero of the story is. Jesus Christ. I love what happens next. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now remember, he's sitting on the ground. If I sit and cross my legs, I won't be able to get back up again because I get out. But he's sitting on the ground. Everybody else is walking by. So he's what? He's maybe two and a half. If he's six feet tall, not a chance he's six foot tall. He's probably about four foot eight. So he's about two foot four off the ground. And everybody's walking past in the crowd. And he starts shouting. He can't see. They can't see him. Jesus can't see him because of the crowd. But he starts shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. And I love it, it says, be quiet. The people in front yelled at him. The people blocking him told him, would you ever shut up by, because it was in Cork that these incidents happened. <laughs> would you ever shut up? Because you're making noise, would you shut up? But I love it, it says, but he only shouted all the louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. How loud do we shout when we need to encounter God's presence, when we need his move in our lives? How loud do we shout? And I want to challenge you this morning, because there may not be literal people in your life who are saying to you, shut up and be quiet. But there'll be circumstances, there will be fears, there will be distractions, there will be doubts that are going to say to you, would you ever shut up and stop shouting to the Lord? But you know something? He didn't pay attention to them. He just shouted all the louder. Jesus! Son of David! Have mercy on me! And I did that for the sake of the poor people down in Cafe Church lest I blow their heads off. (laughs) He shouted even louder. You know something? When we come in and we pray, we need to get our priorities right. 
Stop listening to the noises that tell you that this is wasted time. Stop listening to the noises that tell you there's more important things to be done. When we come in to pray, we should ignore the other priorities because this is the priority. And because he showed the loader and he showed his sincerity, remember Jesus is going along in the crowd. He's surrounded by people. Your man is sitting behind the crowd. He can't see this guy. All Jesus can do is hear his voice as he goes through the crowd. When Jesus heard him, he stopped. And he ordered that the man be brought to him. And the man came near. Jesus asked him, What? Do you want me to do for you? Well, there's a number of things really, Lord. Like, my Auntie Maisie's toe is very sore at the moment. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of behind on the rent for the she-bean that I've rented. And, you know, I could do with kind of a new car, because the car is like very old or something like, you know. What do you want me to do for you? And this is evocative of the question that the Lord asked Solomon in one, in one chronicle, or sorry, two chronicles, chapter one. It says, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. He's just been appointed king of the nation of Israel. And he said to him, ask me what you want me to do for you and I will do it. Can you imagine the Lord appeared to you In your room when you went to pray and he said, ask me what you want me to do for you and I will do it for you. Ask me the one most important thing in your life and I will do it for you. Solomon's answer was that he wanted wisdom. He said, Lord, would you give me wisdom so that I can lead your people? And it says the Lord was pleased with his answer. And he said to him, because you haven't asked for a long life for yourself, or fame, or riches, or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you have asked for. Why? Because Solomon's priorities were right. He had the most important thing at the top of his list. God had called him to be a king, had anointed him to be king, and he wanted the powers and the wisdom to live the life of a king and to lead the people wisely. And the love, it goes on to say, the Lord says, and because you haven't asked for the other things, I'll give you the wisdom, but I'll give you all the other things you didn't ask for as well. Hallelujah. When you seek first the kingdom of God, he just throws the rest of the stuff in. He just throws it in. And so Bartimaeus comes in and he stands, or Jesus, he comes to Jesus. He's been led over to Jesus. Remember, he can't see. So he's coming through a crowd and there's people getting out of his way and giving him a shove. And he comes over to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I want you to take five seconds and think, if Jesus stood here now, right in front of you, and said, what is the one thing you want me to do for you, what would your answer be? What would your answer be? If he appeared right here and said, Michael, what is the one thing you want me to do for you, what would my answer be? Anybody who knows me knows what my answer to that question would be. So I'm not even going to go there. What would your answer be? And Bartimaeus didn't produce a prayer list. He didn't produce a list of, well, it would be great if I could. His answer was straightforward. Lord, I want to see. It's not complicated. Take a look at me. What do you think I want? A new cloak? I want to see. 
You know what? But he had to say it. He had to speak it. He had to say it out loud. Jesus didn't just walk past and sprinkle fairy dust in his direction and say, here you have an old healing for yourself. No, he wanted to hear it come from the mouth of Bartimaeus. Bring him over here. Bring this blind. Remember all the crowd are all grown? And you remember, I, I love this. Some of the people in that crowd were the people who were telling him to shut up two minutes ago. Now they're going, oh, this is great, isn't it? The Lord is after calling him. Aren't we sometimes shut up by circumstances? And we sometimes, you know, we know it all. Ah, oh, shut up. The Lord's not interested in you. And then the Lord moves and you go, oh, sorry about that there. Yeah. Some of the people who tend to shut up are the people who are looking at Jesus speaking to him. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. It's not complicated, Lord. Hallelujah. Sometimes we just need to be straight. And Jesus said, all right. This is the New Living Translation that I'm uh, translating from our, I, I'm, I'm using this morning. Otherwise, it says, All right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. That was it. He just shouted. He got his focus right. He got to Jesus, asked the question, answered the question, and instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus praising God. And all who saw it praised God too, even the people who told him to shut up a couple of minutes ago. Everyone who saw it, they were saying, shut up you, and then they're going, hallelujah, praise the Lord, Bartimaeus has been healed. He silences his enemies. And Bartimaeus gets up, and he follows Jesus. Why? Because he wouldn't be allowed to shut up. Because he wouldn't listen to the voices that told him to shut up. And listen, brothers and sisters, don't listen to the voices that are telling you to shut up. Don't listen to the voices. I don't care who they are. I don't care how important they are. I don't care how authoritative of their, they are. I don't care how afraid of them you are. Do not listen to the voice that tells you to shut up. Do not listen to the voice that tells you you're too busy to be going in there praying like some holy fella. Don't be listening to the voices that tell you there's more important things than you can do with your time than to be praying. Don't be listening to the voices that tell you that it doesn't work because it does. Would anybody here say they've experienced a clear and unambiguous answer to prayer in their lives? There you go. Look around you if you're in any doubt. All of these people all have testimonies of clear and unambiguous answers to prayer in their lives. I've experienced them myself. Don't let anyone shut you up. We move on to a place called Bethany. Another story I'm sure the vast majority of you are familiar with, but worth looking at again just for a moment. To the sisters Martha and Mary. Martha, as you look up, is the one on the left. She's kind of organized. She's together. She's got it all going on. She's well organized. She's got her to-do lists. She checks the little boxes every day. She's somebody who has her calendar filled out for the next three weeks. Ah! She's just so, she sweeps the place. Before she goes to bed, she prepares for the morning. You know those kind of weirdos? No, no, that is you, comrade. That is you. I fill up my coffee machine at night. That's about as far as I can get, you know. She's just one of those organized, got it together, wants to be on point, invites Jesus to the house, has to be spotless, has to be perfect. And then there's Mary. Mary's like, hey, how's it going? Did you hear Jesus is coming to our house? And you come over. It's going to be great crack, like... I mean, he's like, he's like, like, he's like a miracle worker or something. Like, he's a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. He's the light in the darkness, like. I don't know where I got that line from. And Mary arrives in. And she's just not that organized. But 
be the hokey, does she have her priorities right? Does she have her priorities right? And the story records, Jesus, or Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. So there's loads to be done. And do you know in your house and in my house, and by the way, for what it's worth, I do go to bed and think, oh no, I'm not organized for the morning, in case you do think I'm completely, uh. Anyway, Jesus sat, or Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. There was loads to be on, stuff to be organized, people to be fed, people to be watered, place to be clean, place to be tidied, organizations, plans, plans, plans. But she just sat down and listened to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that's what you and I need to do every single day. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. It was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. She had the rocket leaf salad just dressed so with pesto. It was beautiful. She had taken the stones out of the avocado and was making a guacamole dip. Jesus was going to have a great time. The pitas were coming out of the oven. Freshly baked, only the best for Jesus. And she came to Jesus and says, I love this. such a great line. Lord. Lord, doesn't it seem kind of unfair to you? I mean, she, she, she knows like she's going to win this one because she knows that Jesus is kind of into being fair. So she kind of appeals to his sense of fairness. So Lord, don't you think it's unfair to you that my sister just sits there? She's sitting on her red backside listening to you while I do all the work. That sounds like my house. Oh, put your plate in the dishwasher. Where's the dishwasher? Okay, what do you need to do when you finish a plate? Scrape it, rinse it, and put it in the dishwasher. Okay, I got it. Shh, bye. Doesn't it seem, I, I do all the work in my house. Elma and I were called staff. We're not even parents. Anyway. <laughs> Tell her to come here and to help. Tell her to come and help me because I'm doing the important stuff. I'm doing what's most important here. I'm looking after all these people and I'm a martyr. Martha the martyr. <laughs> Look at all these people and looking at her. Tell her to come over here and help me. Oh, but the Lord said to her, dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all of these dopey details. Remember Jesus is the one who said, the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said, he was the one who said, don't be worrying about eating and drinking and food and all that kind of stuff. Just seek first the kingdom of God and all that stuff gets added. But there is only one thing. How many things? Ah, come on, try harder now. How many things? One thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. There is only one thing, there is one thing that you can do to make you the happiest person on planet earth. And that is to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, paying attention to him in the presence of God, tuned in to that presence of God. Even when all hell is breaking out around you, tune in to the presence of God. That is the one thing that will make you happier. And I love it, says Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. She's found the treasure. And the treasure is not going to be taken from her. All she may do is give it away. We're responsible for our own lives. We're responsible for keeping our own priorities right. Here's a quote by a guy called John Baker. And I thought it was real simple, profound and real advice. It's a bit long but you can bear with it. 
Oh, before I do that, let me just tell you, if you were under the age of 50, this thing was called an alarm clock. It was only after I put it into slideshow I thought people would be going, oh, that's the thing on the television. This is called an alarm clock. My children are 18, 20, and 16 respectively. They still don't know what this thing is. Anyway, he says this. Spending the first early minutes of the morning with God, asking him to help us navigate through the known and the unknown hours. The known and the unknown hours. You don't know what's going to happen in your life today. You don't know. You're going to walk out the door after church here. You're going to meet your friends, have a cup of coffee. Go walk up to Pastor Tom, say, Pastor Tom, you're wonderful. Could we ever get rid of Pastor Mike because the church would be better? And then you don't know what's going to happen after that. He said, doing that will do more to get our priorities in place than hours of soul searching and weighing our options. Being in the presence of God, asking him to help us navigate the known and unknown hours of the day ahead will do more for you than all your planning will ever do. Will do all of your planning will ever do. I want to leave you with, just before we finish, I want to leave you with one piece. I'm calling this the science bit. I hope I've convinced you that the most important thing that you can do with your life, and I think you're probably fairly convinced of that anyway, if you're in a church on a Sunday morning when there's a storm coming, and that is, I want to look at some research. The research, and there's been plenty of research. I'm going to be quoting five different sources here in one second. That shows that people who pray are healthier than people who don't pray. That people with a faith live longer than those who don't have a faith. This is the result of five different studies, but it's only five. There are hundreds of studies done on this subject about the lives of people. Do you know what they suffer from? They have increased dopamine levels. Do you know what dopamine is? Yes, dopamine is the happy drug that's in your head when you do cool things, when you exercise and when you, when you, when you, actually there's probably a few things that you can get dopamine in your head that you shouldn't be doing, but dopamine is a happy drug, trust me. Dopamine is the thing that you get in your head when you're with your loved one, your, your, your favorite other. Dopamine, it's the happy drug. They have increased levels of those. They have a decreased metabolism. In other words, people who pray are not as um, wound up, their system is not as stressed, their metabolic rate is physically slower. Not only while they pray, but after they pray. Though they also have a slower heart rate. A slower heart rate is, according to some scientists, the singularly biggest indicator of your long-term health is your resting heart rate. People who pray regularly have a slower heart rate than the average population. They have lower blood pressure, provided they're praying in the right way. Amen. I'm not entirely sure about mine. I go to the doctor and he tells me every year, get out and take your brother with you. You're doing grand. So by the grace of God, there's high blood pressure in my family. You'd never have thought it, you wouldn't. Anyway. They're calmer and their breathing is more regular. Regular breathing is the result of praying regularly. Who would have thought it? Here's physical outcomes. We have slower brain waves and feelings of control. People who pray. Slower brain waves. Things are just, hey baby. Camera in the heads of people who pray. Hey, man, it's okay. I got Jesus on the case. You know what I'm saying? So they're easy. And they have a sense of control. And it's not that they're controlling everything, but they realize that God is in control. They have a boosted immune system. Now, brothers and sisters, this is really important. Do you know when the coronavirus comes to Ireland? Ah! Do you know if the corona, COVID-19, 
comes to Ireland, Christians are less likely to get it because they will have a boosted immune system because they pray more. Mm? Hallelujah. It lessens the severity and frequency of a whole range of illnesses. Everything from arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, heart disease, lung disease. It lessens the severity and the frequency of a whole range of illnesses. And I think this is the last one. And people who pray regularly coped better with illness. And hallelujah, they lived longer. They lived longer. And this is the result of five different studies. Five different, I'm only quoting just five different studies. Nothing more, nothing less. Even though, like I said, there are hundreds of studies on this subject. So let me tell you this. Do you know what struck me? Something struck me about this. Do you see all of these benefits? You get all of these benefits from physical exercise as well. Believe it or not. Yet Paul says, Paul says to Timothy, he says, physical exercise profits you a little bit. It's, it's good for you. But spiritual exercise is of great value. Can you imagine getting all the benefits of exercise by sitting down to pray in stillness and quietness for half an hour a day? Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you this morning. And I want to pray this morning for two things. One, one. That we would bring the one thing in our prayer lives before the Lord regularly. What's the one important thing? Can anybody here think, you don't, I don't want you to tell me, of the one thing. If the Lord said to you, tell me what you want and I will do it for you. Do you know what that one prayer request would be? If you know what that prayer request would be, would you just raise your hand? I just want to see your hands just to see that I'm on the space. I know the one thing that is in my soul. I know the answer. I know the one thing that I truly, deeply want. And I also want to pray that we will also prioritize, that we will recognize and hear the voice of God for us even this morning. The voice of God that calls us. The psalmist wrote this. My heart has heard you say, come, talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. I'm going to come. My heart has heard you say, maybe this morning... Your heart has heard the Lord say, come, talk with me. Come, be in my presence. Come, seek me. And maybe this morning, just for yourself, you might want to say, Lord, I'm coming. I'm going to make that my determination. Will you stand with me? We're going to sing and we're going to pray. We're going to sing and pray. We're going to bring, in just a moment, the one thing. One thing before the Lord. First of all, though, we're going to sing the song, Raise a Hallelujah. Do you know why? Because I'm, I'm, it's evocative to me of, of uh, blind Bartimaeus. When they said, shut up, he shouted louder. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. We sing that. We raise our voices. We raise our voices before God, the one who hears us. And then in a few moments, we're going to bring the one big prayer before the Lord. And we're going to respond to the Lord and say, Lord, I hear your voice and I'm going to come. I'm going to commit. I'm going to come into your presence. Let's sing. Hallelujah. Raise a hallelujah.